Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to your weekly Corner Spay team. Um, it's just myself, Nick, today. Um, just thought that I would uh, record a solo episode today because uh, our planned episode for this week kind of got messed up with all the election planning stuff that's been going on and the events that we've been doing and uh, have planned for the next week, which I will soon go over. Um, but I also thought that it would be a good opportunity to talk about um, a topic that we've actually never talked about on the show, which is uh, Orange Man Bad, Donald Trump. And I know that we've been avoiding this topic like the plague because I think it has been overplayed by other podcasts by particularly liberal media with an inability to understand how Trump has come about and how we um, all, maybe not all of us at Corner Spatey, but at least um, I know that Rob and I have had uh, kind of, not necessarily disagreements, but just how, how, how the understanding of Trump from particularly different parts of the United States, within Europe, uh, within the field of political science, so on and so forth, uh, never really seems to get it completely right to me. So um, for those who listened or tuned in last week, Rob and I did a talk with Die Linke Neukölln and kind of broke down um, the current trends in the United States with um, obviously the election, with the left and the new right. And um, I thought that I would kind of just take a similar approach to what Rob and I did with that talk. If you watch that talk, there's really kind of no reason to listen to this episode. Then I'm pretty much going to cover the exact same topics, just without Rob, um, and much more focusing on the right wing, um, the development of of the the Trumpian right wing, I guess you could call it, in the United States, and why it's such a weird phenomenon, um, and why I. Um, and kind of like my own personal feelings about the last four years, about Trump, about this, about that, that um, you can just kind of ignore. I mean, I, I have a podcast, so you have to listen to me. But before I get to that, I wanted to quickly just kind of go through the uh, upcoming election day activities that we have going on. This episode is coming out on a Monday, obviously, but the... Uh, election obviously being on Tuesday means that then that I'm assuming the majority of the people who will be listening to this uh, will already uh, uh, be late. Uh, but I guess they'll be up, you know, if you want to watch them or, or, or re-listen to them or whatever. So uh, starting at, I believe it's 8 p.m. German time, uh, you're going to have to translate that for your own local area. Um, I will be going on to the Halbzehn FM uh, stream. I'll be going on at 10 o'clock German time, but I believe the stream starts at 7 or 8 or something like that. It's um, it's going to be going until 2 o'clock in the morning. I'll be on from 10 to 11, and then I believe from 12 to 2. Um, but nonetheless, uh, uh, I will be on then at from 10, uh, from 10 to 11 with Adam Baltner from Mosaic Magazine. It's all in German, by the way, so I'm sorry for uh, our English or, or non-German speaking listeners, um, uh, uh, there will be stuff for you though as well, uh, which I will get to. And uh, from, I believe, 12 to 2, I'm not completely sure who I'm on with, but um, I, will, I will be there providing the um, perspective of, yeah, an American about this election, what I think, what I think about then, uh, how, how, Trump got elected, why people find Trump appealing, this and that, and that. Similar topics that I've talked about before, and um, topic that then I believe Adam and I will be talking about amongst ourselves, uh, coming from different parts of the United States, but also from areas that then have a massive Trump following. I think it'll be quite interesting to see what the different appeal is amongst uh, 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 different groups in the United States. So that's that. Um, it'll be going quite late into the night. Uh, and then immediately after that, uh, from... I believe two or three o'clock in the morning, uh, German or whatever Central European time, whatever whatever we're on. Uh, Rob will be starting the Cornish Beatty um, stream in Massachusetts, so I'm assuming that then that's going to be eight p.m. Massachusetts time, if I'm not mistaken. And it'll be on our Twitch channel, uh, Twitch.tv/slash Cornish Beatty, with uh, spelt corner C O R. 
N E R S P A E T I. So, because obviously it can't, uh, uh, your URL cannot have an umlaut in it. Uh, so we'll just be kind of um, going through the results when they come in, uh, having a more, uh, uh, I guess, uh, 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 evening, you know, politics show thing going on there. Rob has it organized. I'm not completely 100% sure what's going on, but it will be a fun time. We'll have guests. Uh, Rob will be with uh, Ricky from our last episode about Catholicism, uh, from also the other show that then Rob does with him as well. Uh, the Revolution will not be televised. And it'll be a good time. Uh, we'll try to then come on the stream. I'll try to come on the stream, the Corner Spatey stream, for as long as I can. It is quite late, but I will make it um, at least for an hour or so. And I'm hoping the rest of the gang can also pop by. But nonetheless, it'll still be a good time with Rob and Ricky um, giving you the results live in the U.S. Uh, Rob doing his on-the-ground reporting. So without further ado, um, I guess I'll just kind of lead into this kind of free-form discussion of, I guess, just me or presentation, if you will, about this, uh, yeah, about about Trump, about the right, about a little bit of the left, why, like, kind of just my own personal observations with it, also just a little bit of just history of how it kind of came to be, because I don't think, um, I'm not saying that I'm the only one who understands this, obviously, because I'm not, but I do feel that then because uh, particularly a lot of Europeans consume mostly just rewritten New York Times articles or rewritten New Yorker, New Yorker articles that try to just peg it as poor white people in, you know, the flyover states voting for Trump. And that's how Trump came to be, is that he, uh, I know that then Hillbilly Elegy is probably one of the big books that was uh, talked about a lot in Europe amongst liberals, um, amongst even some of the progressive left about uh, uh, this uh, yeah guy who I guess grew up in, in Appalachia who then ends up going to Yale and kind of just talking about their, the backwardsness of, of that what exists in rural white America. And while that is true to a degree, there is um, obviously a bit of evidence that does show that, um, particularly in the Rust Belt and in the post-industrial U.S., uh, that these people who voted for Obama previously felt let down by the previous administration and voted for Trump. That is, there is, there is some degree of that that's obviously true. Um, however, I think that a lot of people remember these goofy, you know, New Yorker, New York Times articles of these these NGOs getting set up that would go across the country to some, you know, hole in the wall town in whatever,ville, America, and report about this about how this isn't like how this is what the United States is like for the Trump voter, and that is obviously, I mean, for anyone who is from uh, the United States that isn't New York or LA or San Francisco know that the opinions and beliefs held by Donald Trump are quite normal in the United States, particularly amongst white middle-class people. And that this um, kind of conditioning amongst the, the white middle-class over the years has been just a long process from, I mean, beginning in, 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 in you know, strict anti-communism of the John Birch Society that then was not popular in its time in the 1950s and 1960s, uh, having kind of this neoliberal kick to it with the Reagan administration, obviously with a lot of, of um, think tanks and stuff like that popping up around the same time. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, the United States is heavily dominated by incredibly conservative and uh, libertarian think tanks, particularly the top two that come to mind, would be things like the Cato Institute, um, the Heritage Foundation, uh, uh, I believe the Hudson Institute's another one that's, I believe, connected to Stanford University. These are all conservative. They're not just because uh, they guise themselves as as libertarian or whatever. A lot of them get a lot of coke money. A lot of them are very, you know, came across around the time when, you know, strict anti-communism was a, a big part of, you know, the process of thinking, how to rethink capitalism, how to rethink neoliberalism or just liberalism, I guess, into a sense of something that then could be seen as 
um, uh, uh, you know, conditioning the American people into then accepting them the way that then, you know, free markets function through data, through this, through that. You know, the stuff that think tanks do, produce um, studies and data to more or less make their political positions the 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 one that seems like the viable one. I mean, and, and this is something the left has been very bad at in the United States as well, and in Europe too, if you think about it, of, of producing um, think tanks that then have projects, have papers, have, have data to back up things like why is Medicare for all um, more beneficial? We've been seeing this more and more, but this game has been dominated by the right for a long time. But this doesn't, I mean, just simply the think tank thing doesn't describe Trump at all. So I, I would say that then the normalization of this type of economic thinking backed with then a political party that then has just typically been more pro-free market capitalism and more openly nationalistic just historically of the last 20 years is that, um, and I, th- I think that this is quite the case for if anyone in the audience and you can just uh, i guess look this up as well too of uh find old episodes of things like rush limbaugh or the mark levin show or or uh um, michael savage another conservative commentator from i mean they all had their peak in the 2000s Obviously, they're still on TV. I don't on the radio. Sorry, Michael Savage, if I'm not mistaken, is no longer on radio. He became just openly white nationalist like three years ago. Um, but nonetheless, like I think that it, it shows that this method of thinking of being free market, you know, pro very pro market capitalist, being very, uh, I mean, America first in its in 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 the way of thinking and whatnot has been a thing that's been been quite active and vibrant in the United States since the, uh, especially uh, since 9-11. I just, uh, just for me personally, growing up in, in a conservative household and having this, you know, these, these talk radio shows on all the time, the, the stuff that people like Rush Limbaugh or Michael Savage and whatnot are saying is just being taken finally serious by a politic or by the Republican Party probably for the first time in um yeah in, in in the last few decades. But it was that then obviously that that the Republican you know the 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 people who were voting conservative and listening to these things had the same beliefs that they do now for the most part. I wouldn't say that there's much of a drastic change between Trump and someone like an average listener of Rush Limbaugh from 20 years ago. Like, they would still vote for Trump then, they would vote for Trump now. And they are going to vote for Trump now. But I just need to, like, really hammer it in that then the stuff that Trump says and does and whatnot is typically American. Like, it just is. The only thing that then is different about it is the way that then it is being presented, of course. Because Trump is an outsider, actually a political outsider. Donald Trump... um, yeah, ran for president of the Reform Party, complaining that, that they didn't know what they were doing and and dropped out in 2000. I, mean, I don't even think he dropped out, but that doesn't matter, is that then he clearly um, engaged himself once in a political party that he did not fit into, um, became kind of here and there with, with who he gave money to, if anyone remembers in 2016, being on the stage during the Republican debate and just bragging continuously about how he gave money to every candidate on the stage, that still doesn't mean that then, I mean, Donald Trump, although part of the, I mean, the Marxist understanding of how the state is of a, you know, uh, a, a marriage between, you know, capital and the functions of the state, Donald Trump, yes, of course, is not an outsider in that sense. But typically within the sense of the American political establishment, you cannot say to me with a straight face that he isn't. Um He's he's gaudy. He's says it, you know, like like the people that then that a lot of the thing that a lot of people like about him is just that this, you know, telling it how it is. I know for my family, it's always a sense that then Donald Trump represents the um, the way that that, you know, it used to be that you could say what you wanted and the way that my grandfather talked and this, you know, just just just, just this bullshit of going back to this this better time where you wouldn't be punished for, you know, saying something politically incorrect no matter how racist homophobic or just fucking problematic it is people 
want to go back to a time, obviously, where where their uh, uh, responsibility of your actions, obviously, was not so much a thing. But um, yeah, so there's there is also this sense too of that just Trump just being the successful man, the successful person. Um, but then also not being this typical American old money too. He's very gaudy, as I said earlier. I mean, the things that then liberals continuously tried to bring out against him, things like not paying his taxes, which is still up in the air, his horrible taste, his, you know, uh, uh, obsession with, you know, models and this and that and that. I don't, I, I don't think that, I mean, you have to kind of just lie to yourself to to say that then that that's not something that then most people you would know in the United States also want and would gravitate towards. The idea that then that Donald Trump's tax returns are going to be a thing that are going to stop him from being president is fucking stupid to me because the one thing that I know that every American, including myself, um, wants to do is pay less taxes and keep more of the money that then that you make at your job. And this is something that the Democrats don't seem to understand is that I guess, first and foremost, you could have all the nice things that you want without raising taxes on normal Americans. And the idea of having uh, raising working class taxes makes no sense to me from a left-wing perspective. If taxation is your only fetish, it would still make more sense to then leave working class people's taxes alone and raise the taxes of people who are wealthy. But regardless of that and the whole debate about taxation the thing of the matter is is that whether it be working class people this quote-unquote middle class of the united states this you know thing that then everyone wants to every politician wants to talk to and wants to represent which is arguably probably something that doesn't even actually exist um they have uh uh they don't they don't want to pay taxes and trump can then show that 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 he is kind of accomplishing this dream that then they as typically white suburban americans also then want to be a part of and there is something that then for a lot of americans is is quite appealing and 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 intoxicating along just regardless of then the the you know problematic stuff of trump i do think that then a lot of it just comes to this fact of that Donald Trump still, even as being, you know, president, part of the establishment for now the last four years, still continuously has made his whole position that he isn't a part of this thing. And that then continuously that the, that the people within the security apparatus or people within, you know, pro- political professionals are against him is something that then his followers really do like and really do appreciate because, you know, I mean, what was it a few years ago was fake news, this and that and that. Well, if that's your perspective of the world, and they are actually right about this, I mean, like, the thing of it is that then Trump isn't liked by the establishment, and we can see by, by then Joe Biden and the people from, you know, uh, former CIA people who are endorsing Biden, the CIA coming out and saying that then what Trump is, is uh, the, um, like, how, how Trump, Trump conducts foreign policy is, is destructive to the United States, this and that and that. Trump is then in that sense still, I would argue, still an, an outsider, regardless of then that that he's, um, regardless of, of, of him actually being a, uh, a, 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 a being in the highest political office in the United States. It is, it is quite um, uh, impressive to me that he has, has still kept kind of true to this, um, this persona and this, and I won't even say it's a persona because it actually is true. Uh, Donald Trump, uh, I would probably argue, doesn't want to be president. He he very clearly, whenever he receives uh, uh, for uh, um, dossiers and stuff from his advisors, he just reads the first page and doesn't even really pay attention to it. Probably one of the most famous ones being at Mar-a-Lago, getting something from one of his directors of Homeland Security or National Security, whatever it is, and uh, Donald Trump ignored it and just started ordering milkshakes. And the thing of the matter is that for the Trump voter, that's what they want. They want someone who doesn't give a shit about 
the about what the establishment wants because Trump is going to watch out for what's best for America. And to be very fair, um, Donald Trump ignoring the wishes of the CIA and ignoring the wishes of of you know the security apparatus establishments within his party, um, the establishment in general is kind of true it is like it 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 just is um regardless of what his actual policy is i would say that then donald trump still i mean puts people in power such as like john bolton in the past or uh, mike pompeo who's currently the um secretary of state for the united states people who are part of this this establishment um uh of of particularly, I guess, like the, the Bush era and of, of older conservatism, he also has shown that then that if they step on his toes, he'll just get rid of them as he's fired so many people. So there is kind of both sides of it. Obviously, Trump is filling up these positions with old Bush administration people, I would argue because he doesn't fucking care and doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, and the other side of it is that then he keeps firing him, showing him that his supporters that then if they don't want to play nice with Trump, that he has the upper hand against them. And that he's, uh, you know, yeah, he's the one in charge. He's he's the um, he's the, the he's the president. I mean, there's no other way of putting it. So um, yeah, I hope that that and and this obviously doesn't uh, um, excuse any of his behavior anyway. And I'm not saying the stuff like I don't care about his foreign policies. I mean, I care about his foreign policy. I don't care about how he treats members of the foreign policy establishment in the United States. To be very fair, that is actually kind of sick. <laughs> like, I, I, I too wish that I could, you know, uh, get a, a memo from the CIA, ignore it, and just ma- eat milkshakes uh, if I was in that level of power. That'd be pretty badass. Um, but nonetheless, too, I mean, there is, like, we have seen that that this also isn't true. Donald Trump has, has uh, actively... Um, uh, sought aggression against countries like Iran, China, Russia, uh, through whether it be uh, sanctions or other, you know, soft power things, you know, trade wars and whatnot. Um, Venezuela has been one that then Donald Trump has been actively against. Uh, Donald Trump is, you know, uh, uh, explicitly anti-communist with his his uh, rhetoric, uh, doing the very typical thing that the right's kind of always done for the past 30 years of declaring anything that then isn't what they are doing. Communism is an old trick that started uh, with, uh, I believe, people like James Buchanan and the think tanks that he started, uh, which came out of things like George Mason University or things that Murray Rothbard did. So these are these are older. I mean, Murray Rothbard was an economist probably at his peak in the 60s uh, as the probably one of the the main thinkers of what is now anarcho-capitalism like just fake anarchism um and they uh uh uh, i don't know so much about rothbard but i do know that then that then within the 70s and 80s the the tactic of calling everything communism that then even wasn't communism or slight overstepping you know of the you know quote-unquote social welfare state has been attacked that the Republicans have done forever. Obviously, as we've seen, uh, Obama's a communist, Joe Biden's a communist, Kamala Harris is a communist, Bernie Sanders is a communist, uh, Hillary Clinton's a communist. You know, the the list goes on and on and on. Uh, and you can see this obviously illustrated within Ben Garrison cartoons, probably the best of that. Then everyone who is not uh, with Trump is a communist, or they're part of the swamp, and they're this and they're that. And it is a very uh, it's been quite successful in othering the um the democratic party and pretending that they're left and the democratic party cannot shake this off no matter how hard they try no matter how pro-capitalist they are the democratic party will always be seen by a majority not even just by by trump supporters but i would say the majority of the united states as being a left-wing party as being socialist as being that even people who are in the democratic party think that the democratic party is socialist like that's kind of frightening. I mean, uh, uh, whether it be just out of just being young and naive or whatever it is, the idea then of calling yourself a socialist and joining the Democratic Party proudly is kind of an oxymoron because the Democratic Party has also been stringently anti-communist, as we've seen with how Joe Biden talks about Bernie Sanders, how Joe Biden and his party talk about uh, socialist countries and stuff like that how just they've been actively uh uh distancing themselves from any uh uh 
social justice movement in the United States because it could be branded as a socialist. Like the Democratic Party is definitely worse in their aspect of that than that they'll take on the social justice banner and literally just do it for a hashtag thing. I mean, probably the best example of that being like with Elizabeth Warren with the Black Lives Matter blocks behind the BLM blocks behind her when she was speaking at the Democratic National Convention without even mentioning obviously one thing about social justice in her speech. So there is then this too of of um, I don't want to make it sound like that I just went on a side caveat about the Democratic Party, but the Trump Trump supporters, regardless of then also whatever the the politic that Trump does, the fact of the Democratic Party being so superficial is also something that then continuously draws them to Trump. You could have someone, and this isn't nearly as common probably now as it was in 2016. But someone who just completely disenfranchised by both parties probably um, has more progressive politics, probably more working class uh, um, minded politics, but just obviously acknowledges that then that both parties are very much establishment parties um, could very easily have voted for, for, for Trump in 2016, regardless of, of um, I would say, race, probably a man. But there is very much this this um, acceptance, more or less, that the, both parties are bad and that the Democratic Party is objectively more superficial than the Republican Party in the sense of co-opting everything, in the sense of, of pretending to be the nicer face of imperialism, the nicer face of capitalism. But I think even in the sense of like the undecided voter um, back then, it was still very much apparent that the Democratic Party is maybe the worst of the two because they lie uh, about then what they do uh, based on the sense of just all this this co-opting and it is it has been i mean the obama was a co-opt of of uh, uh the wall street uh, occupy wall street movement and um uh uh the current wave of Hillary Clinton with just the co-opting of just any form of identity politics that's just been so neoliberalized that it has no meaning anymore uh, same thing with uh, Black Lives Matter movement currently in the United States being attempted to be co-opted by the Democrats, but not being very successful because Joe Biden is so pro-cop. And the fact of the matter is that then, like, in at least in, in, in 2016, from my gatherings of when I still had Facebook and I still interacted with normal Americans on the Internet a, a little bit more than I do now, um, that seemed to be a bigger issue than actually any political issue half the time was that then the Democrats are far too establishment and they they just co-opt everything. Now, this obviously has to do with the part of the country that then that I'm from, particularly. This has to probably also do with the economic background of most people that then that I, I, I um, you know, interacted with growing up in Arizona. But nonetheless, I, I wouldn't put it past this then being a common theme. And I think that most people can admit it in the U.S., unless you're just a card-carrying Democrat. Um I think it would be fair to admit that the Democratic Party is much more superficial than the Republicans are because the Republicans just want evil shit and just admit it straight to your face. They don't pretend that they don't want capitalism because they do. They don't pretend that they don't they they, they don't want healthcare uh Medicare for all. They want no type of of socialized medicine. Um where the Democrats will, you know, you know, try to try to dodge every every attempt of the Republicans calling their plan socialism, when it's just like it's very similar to the German system of creating this this you know kind of cartel of of insurance companies that you're required to buy insurance from, but are still a private you know market based system. So yeah, like it always is the sense too of that then the the complexity of then the plans typically at least it's just from from my opinion the complexity of the plans the democrats then always bring forth and just how unclear they are about it is also something i mean at least during the debates this time around you know completely not wanting to do uh things like the green new deal completely ignoring the healthcare question in the united states probably the biggest question that then's facing us right now um, not even just in the United States, but globally because of a pandemic. Um, not wanting to talk about, I mean, there's been no discussion of the economy at all in the United States except for the sense of how it's, you know, grown. But at least in the discussion that then that people like Bernie Sanders are bringing up about um, 
you know, wealth inequality. Joe Biden mentioned it for a split second in the last debate, but it wasn't anything that then was uh, like Bernie's mantra has had, had been for the last four years. So there really is there really is just at least from that perspective going into 2020 is that then the Democrats wanting to just kind of have like a reset button to go back to Obama with most of the policies of Trump that then are in place more or less staying the same. And I know that's incredibly controversial to say because the idea is that then Biden is, you know, the harm reduction candidate, this and that and that. But. I think that we can look at, I mean, the biggest scandal right now being the fracking one currently, um, the sense of the matter of, of with ICE, with the police, with all these things that then Biden's just, you know, that he thinks that better governance is going to take care of him. But better governance isn't going to take care of things that are just evil institutions that have just completely gotten out of hand. So I have personally, in that sense, absolutely no confidence that the Biden administration would be anything else but an Obama 2.0. And Obama's kind of the reason why the United States is where it's at, if you think about it in a, in a sense. An inability to address Wall Street, an inability to, to rebuild um, the uh, 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 economy in a sense that would prevent something like 2008 from happening again. But it's just 2008, you know, on repeat. Uh, sorry, not 2000. Yeah, it is 2008, 2009. Uh, on repeat for eternity until the economy just gives out its one last breath and we either end up in uh, uh, like some uh, version of a horrible sci-fi dystopian movie <laughs> because I don't see us coming at the other end in some form of, of socialism or, or something remotely close to that. But nonetheless, uh, it really is just kind of this this real. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to still. I've 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 personally been avoiding talking about the election on the show because it is so much to kind of kind of uh, um, you know put into perspective and deal with because the whole world is looking at this election and seeing so many garbage takes. And seeing then this, um, I would say, overstated amount of confidence from the Biden campaign when I haven't seen any campaigning, campaigning actually from the Biden campaign. All the campaigning I've seen done has been from people who were involved in something else who then just kind of got wrapped into it and aren't even like phone banking for Biden. They're phone banking for other candidates. So, um, And I know this has been the case for most people in the u.s of just getting a thing of like oh remember to vote but nothing trying to get you to get the vote out for biden i mean i've seen obviously people like bernie sanders going and doing that um but nonetheless i i, I guess first and foremost have far too much um not that I even care if Biden wins. I guess I have to like preface this to begin with. I think that it, whether it be Trump or Biden is going to be a horrible uh, president, they're going to Biden. I think will just be more of the horrible stuff that we're used to with the United States. More aggressive foreign policy. Again, just kind of Obama foreign policy 2.0. Maybe a little bit more hawkish. Um, nothing being done about the economy. The Democrats can go back to having brunch and this and that and that. And ICE detention centers will still be open. Coronavirus will still be a massive fucking problem in the U.S. Um, I don't see any competency of anything changing. Nor do I necessarily care because competency doesn't mean anything to me. Um, because what you can competently do, don't drone strikes, or you can competently rig the economy back to just ignoring wealth inequality. Like that doesn't make any fucking sense to me. And how, at least in my perspective, at least with Trump winning, it's already something that then that you hate and you know that you hate it and you can, we've been mobilizing against that much better than any mobilization was done under the Obama era because it was always kind of, you know, being being the, the Democrats having to preserve that they still need the left vote, but then also still trying to preserve the fact that they aren't a radical. They're not even a left wing party in general, that they're not even a, that they're not even like a social democratic party, that, the, that they they seek out the vote of the left. But in reality, you're just a neoliberal party. And it doesn't bug me if people want to ditch that. I personally have not voted for the Democrats in any major election. I haven't voted for Republicans either. Um, I have not voted in any major federal election for a Democratic candidate. 
um and i just don't care like i i take that back i voted once for Kristen cinema because i felt because i got i got coaxed into that whole bullshit about voting you know the democrats being the lesser of two evils and one of the first things that uh, Kristen cinema did was bring like raytheon and bay systems uh factories to arizona like big fucking congrats like you brought the literally brought the military industrial complex to Arizona. I mean, it already existed there, but still that was one of her proudest moments of bringing jobs were to fucking build missiles and like guided missile systems in Arizona. Like give me a fucking break. I don't need a Democrat to do that, you know? (laughs) So it really like that, that kind of just put the nail in the coffin for me of that. Then either um, like I'll still vote, I'll vote on local things typically, but for when it comes to the president, I'll just come out and say it. I voted for, uh, the Green Party candidate once again this year. I voted for Jill Stein in 2016. I don't fucking care. Like, I just don't. I really, I really can't justify it in my head that the blue candidate is the one who then is actually then the lesser evil. Because I know in the fact of Hillary Clinton, that sure as hell isn't the case. It's just evil that just slightly looks different. And in the case of Joe Biden, it's also the exact same thing. Um, is that throwing away my vote or not? I mean, I don't really care. You know, uh, you can tell me one way or the other. Um, it's not going to change my opinion on it because I don't view, I don't think fed, like electoralism at that level matters, especially in a country where half the population, half the voting population even comes out to vote. So um, in terms of then actually creating a politic that then that we can strive forward for, I think that we've been actually doing, I think the left has been doing much more of that in recent years in the United States than has been talked about uh i mean not that it's that that not that it has been talked about but more that is on the ground in the form of of you know not just just protests but then seeing how people have been kind of fighting back against trump from whether it be you know protesting against the ice facilities whether it be the protest the black lives matter protests whether it be then the protesting just in general against police violence um we did see for a small window of time it blossom into something else other than just you know the one moment of what the issue was at the one moment but people then beginning to realize that then this is all interconnected within how the united states functions police brutality and you know the the treatment of pocs in the united states is very much connected obviously to a, a greater thing that is capitalism it may not be this perfect orthodox Marxist way of looking at it. There may be more twists and turns that are part of a modern society, but still nonetheless, I think that then the stuff that then the left has been getting on at that have been so unsuccessful in past decades have really begin to, you know, speak to a lot of people who either were just disenfranchised by politics and never been involved by politics before. Um, and feel that a political party doesn't represent them. And I think we saw that in the Bernie campaign. That was the first, um, you know, push towards this. I know that then for at least myself, the Bernie campaign was a big point of a big beginning of radicalization in 2016. Um, that then now in 2020, where I felt much more to the left of Bernie Sanders, I still obviously would critically support him in uh, if he were to have won the... Uh, um, the Democratic nominee for presidency, but it still comes down to the fact of of that there would be stuff that we'd have to push him on the left from, of course, as well. Bernie Sanders' foreign policy probably being the one that then would come uh, immediately to the minds of most people who were in uh, that sphere for a while, is that Bernie's foreign policy is not still, I would say, left or socialist. It's still quite American in a in a typical sense. And regardless of if the fact of that then someone gets attracted to the idea then of what they think that socialism is what fucking Denmark does or whatever, regardless it allowed for a conversation to then open and be had. And I know that for a lot of people who were saying that then, oh, I want to be like Denmark a few years down the road, or <laughs> like Marxist Leninists and stuff like that. So there is a point of entry that then we have, have seen happen to the left that then just didn't exist before. And I think we have to, like, I mean, I know it's through party politics, and I know that then that obviously it's not the the last, the last hurrah. It's just you can't just simply vote Democrat and get what you want. But I think that um, that Sanders, that Bernie actually did, like, provide this 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 
means of of the left being a formidable force again. Where regardless, I mean, we talked with DSA a few weeks ago um, about the expansion into things like, you know, uh, Berlin DSA and obviously DSA getting close to 100,000 members. And I know DSA is not the most perfect organization, but the fact that there are so many people then joining an organization uh, like that in the United States is kind of hard to imagine, especially if you've grown up with anti-communism being at the background of your just entire existence of growing up. And um, kind of in the thing, too, is that then I do I do see simultaneously that then a lot of Trump's appeal does come from that old version of anti-communism, but I don't see it as also as apparent as it was in yesteryear uh, with previous campaigns and how it was run and this and that and that. I do think that there is a lot of appeal that then Trump has to people. Oh, sorry, not Trump. I do think there's a lot of appeal that then someone like Bernie has to someone who would vote for Trump uh, because there is a material recognition of, you know, the current state of the United States, the current state of the economy. Yes, okay, there are things like my immigration that then maybe they care about or this and that and that. Um but I don't think that that's an end all of that. This person is just continuously stuck of being, you know, voting right wing or voting for Trump. And I don't think that the majority of Trump supporters are these fanatical people who are getting stranded in the middle of nowhere um, because they're going to rallies that then have no shuttles and they have no, um, you know, proper, um, you know, organization or whatever it is. But I do think that the average Trump supporters is someone who was avidly voting Republican for a, a very long time and had for the first time in their life a candidate that who wa- had all the, the, the you know, topics and, and uh, talking points of conservatives and Republicans that they've just been, you know, quietly saying to themselves, just saying it aloud, you know? And the racism obviously being part of it, the, um, you know sexism and stuff like that this is quite unfortunately quite normal stuff within the majority of the united states and i think that we have to then remove our view from these these you know progressive metropoles that we see of i mentioned earlier san francisco los angeles and new york and maybe dc as another one but Look into any other as even like major city in the United States, and this is uh, the 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 idea of a vibrant progressive city isn't a, isn't a thing. It just is not. The, the United States is uh, incredibly conservative because of years and years and years of anti-communism. Not because Americans are are naturally conservative, but because the overall consensus in the U.S. has been conservatism for about sixty years, and it's not going to just like suddenly. Uh, disappear and I think that this is something that then has to kind of continuously be in the mind of of the American left is that obviously the appeal to socialist politics and just the left is is obviously more encompassing than just pretend like I mean obviously you can't just make it your internet identity of course not Um, but in discussing this stuff with, you know, normal people who don't give a single fucking shit about Lenin and don't give a single shit about these historical events that then happened uh, under socialism or whatever, or just don't want to read, the idea then of providing for other people as a politic for that is incredibly appealing. And I think that there is something like that that, that could eventually transform how the U.S. is in that sense. So... Yeah, I've kind of just been rambling for 45 minutes. Um, I'm still super uneasy about then how this election's going to go on. As you can probably tell that I've just been kind of free-flowing, discussing how how the, um, the state of the U.S. looks to me personally um, and how this isn't going to, you know, this isn't some lecture of just how to vote. This isn't some lecture of that thing that you have to vote. I don't care what you do if you can vote. I really don't. I can completely understand if you feel so removed and disenfranchised from this election because as i think i've said before multiple times on the show is that this feels like 2016 to me but worse in a way of that the like that the democrats just didn't learn anything that they think that then a centrist neoliberal politic is going to win over trump supporters when they're he's so popular amongst the people who voted for him 
And the only answer to that is then one that then actually deals with the material conditions of the United States head on and is willing to first off invest the money into it. Second, isn't afraid of being named called a socialist, whatever the fuck it is. And also being rude. I think that then that one of the greatest appeals of Trump is that he was just one of the first American candidates ever just who was just fucking rude as shit and didn't take shit from anyone, regardless if it was smart, what he was saying or right or whatever. We need... Like, Bernie Sanders could have just channeled a fourth of that, you know? I don't need Bernie Sanders going around saying how John McCain's a great friend of mine because I don't, like, you know, call him a, 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 a you know, say he's not a hero. You know, call him a warmongering piece of shit that he is, you know? Him and his whole fucking reject family, I don't give a shit about them. You know, make fun of fucking Megan McCain. That's sick. That would have been awesome. You know, the idea that then that the the Bernie supporters are toxic or whatever, this and that and that, and how that these Trump people see, uh, sorry, that these Democrats see a lot of like, you know, the Trump behaviors in that just fucking embrace. Like I really wish there was a candidate who embraced it because that is something that people like. People do legitimately like you telling off people who suck. And Donald Trump is really good at doing that. Bernie Sanders is fucking horrible about it. If we want to then argue if Bernie Sanders is establishment or not as a whole other different thing, um, Rob and I have had a conversation on a bonus episode about that. Um, for those who subscribe to the Patreon, uh, first off, thank you. And second off, there's only like two episodes where we talked about the United States, so you can find it pretty easily. But, I mean, we really do need to, if we do want any sense of then having the left being represented in electoral politics, I don't think that the worst thing would be providing a ruder version of Bernie obviously who's not you know ancient because Bernie Sanders cannot run again and as much as I love him and think that he is you know probably one of the only decent politicians in the United States um, there needs to be someone with that fervor who can then you know influence and move people the way that that Sanders did and obviously I don't think that the Sanders movement is connected to just him as a person as we've seen through AOC, Elon Omar, and all these other, you know, younger um, people, unfortunately having to join the Democratic Party, but nonetheless, that being the more progressive wing of the Democratic Party, there is there is possibly some potential of having these people um, stay strong in their beliefs, because if they don't, AOC is just either going to be voted out or having to become a shit, you know, neolib or whatever. And um, I maybe not her personally but the type of politics that then that she you know stays stands behind so i guess it's just um as much as everyone thinks that then 2016 was the crossroads and how we're now you know delving into barbarism we obviously found out that it takes a long way to get down to the bottom but if our politic from at least an electoral standpoint is simply just going to be this, like we also need to figure out other methods of establishing that. And I think that we've gotten a little bit better in it in 2020, a global, you know, pandemic and, and, you know, depression that we're currently facing is obviously making, uh, uh, you know, the more dire the situation gets, the more, um, you know, the the more the fervor for a potential revolutionary situation you know brews i guess i don't know i mean i've i've i'm i'm always questionable of whatever revolutionary politics still exists in the united states but at least that the fact of i think that it's shown that maybe potentially the best thing is that if biden loses maybe eventually this is the end of the neoliberal wing of the democratic party I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of spitballing here. I don't see Biden actually winning. I guess I have to first say that. I do see Trump winning again, regardless of what the polls say, regardless of what voter turnout currently is, which is actually not looking good for Biden currently right now. As of recording this on the 1st of November at 1 o'clock uh, in the afternoon, after last checking. So, yeah. I mean, it really... It, it, it really we've gone through four years of Trump... Um, I, it's, it's been a hard time, obviously, for a lot of people within the United States. Um, people have died because of the corona situation. People have died because of, the, of, of, of you know, the situation with, with uh, deportations and migration that Trump has st stood behind. It's not that then Trump has been harmless. I don't want to, you know, make it sound like that Trump is just, 
this placeholder for how the U.S. goes. Trump has just been more mask off about it. That's absolutely true. But um, it isn't that then it's been harmless for people either. So I don't want anyone to get this idea that I think that then it's just life will go on as it is. Like it's been much, much more difficult for certain communities within the United States. I'm not stupid. So there is, but I don't think that then life will get better for these people under Biden either. And I think that that's the reality that we have to just, you know, it just admit to ourselves. So if you, if you're going to go out and vote on Tuesday, or if you've already voted, um, I think that at this point, we all know that this is the, not the, the politic that we need, regardless of if Biden wins or not. And I don't think that Biden is going to be pushed to the left at all. Um, he's shown that Kamala Harris has shown that, Nancy Pelosi shown that the establishment of the Democratic Party shown that, but um, who knows? I mean, it is also a prime opportunity for politics, just in general, to be pushed leftward. And I don't think that then that it's um, maybe yeah. I don't know. I really, I, I really have have no final words to say other than that. If you uh, stuck around for me ranting for almost an hour now. I appreciate it very much. Uh, we will be back for regular episodes, of course, next Monday. Um, please tune in to our um, election coverage that we have going on. And uh, obviously, if you have the means of doing so, it'd be cool if uh, you know subscribe to the Patreon. Uh, we also have a few stickers at them that we've made. I don't remember the site for it, but um, it's up on our on our um, our Twitter. And uh, yeah, uh, see you guys all next week, hopefully, for a regular show with hopefully more than the gang, because I really don't want to rant for another hour by myself. This is not that fun. So take care and bye bye and good luck if you're gonna vote. Yeah, go exercise your democratic right in a near authoritarian country that is the united states good on you